This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for Friday, March 1st, 2019. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Our topic this week, the Green New Deal. It is a massive bill that, if enacted, would have an impact on just about every aspect of our lives. It also carries a huge price tag. But what exactly is it? How has this bill sharpened the political debate between Democrats and Republicans? And what exactly is climate change? For answers, we turn to Lisa Friedman. She is climate reporter for The New York Times. But we begin with some of the Senate debate in advance of an expected vote at some point in the next couple of months. Here is South Dakota Republican Senator John Thune. The Green New Deal would mean higher electricity bills and higher taxes. But it also mean limited transportation choices, including no airplane, airplane travel. Increased government control over your housing options. Less reliable energy. And the list goes on. Mr. President, Democrat socialist fantasies would cost Americans untold amounts of money and permanently damage our economy. But the loss of choice and freedom would cost Americans even more. Democrats' green dream would be a green nightmare for Americans and American families, Mr. President. Just part of the Senate debate, that was Republican John Thune of South Dakota. On the Democratic side of the aisle, Dick Durbin of Illinois. Under President Obama, we started moving toward more fuel-efficient cars and trucks. A gallon of gas has given us more mileage because of government policy. Well, I guess it took away our freedom to buy gas guzzlers. But we can at least say we made a positive step forward, and this administration is stepping backwards. And they're doing it for the fossil fuel industry, for oil and gas and coal interest. They're coming to the floor and trying to get us into a fight once again over socialism when we talk about government policies that would guide us in the right direction for the future. Illinois Senator Dick Durbin and joining us in our studios is Lisa Friedman. She is climate reporter for The New York Times. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. So let's break this debate down. Now that the House and Senate are taking it up, we expect a Senate vote uh, forthcoming. What is the Green New Deal? What is this all about? So I think the most important thing to know about the Green New Deal in the shape that it's in now, a congressional resolution introduced, as you say, in the House and Senate, is that it's non-binding. So even if it were to pass one of these bodies, and it won't, um, nothing in it could become law. Um, But the Green New Deal is a resolution that sets out a set of targets that those who have embraced it say are necessary to both start fighting climate change, dramatically reducing emissions in the United States, move the United States to renewable and clean energy. Um, I should note that that the resolution itself is sort of agnostic uh, and purposefully so or vague on on whether nuclear is included in that. Um, and And at the same time, it seeks to address a range of societal ills from, you know, economic inequality to, um, to racism. We have heard the price tag, $93 trillion. Is that accurate? I think there's really no way to know at this point. I mean, and there's a couple ways to look at a price tag, right? So there is the cost of not addressing climate change, um, which could also be in the trillions. And there was a report put out by 13 federal agencies 
late last year that said the United States could could lose a large chunk of its GDP to dealing with wildfires and sea level rise and other issues related to the impacts of climate change. The other side of the cost of this bill and of dealing with climate change is the benefit side that has been less studied. Um, what is the jobs benefit of developing more solar capacity in the United States? Um, what is the jobs capacity of developing more more wind power in the United States? Um, those things are going to be offset against the cost. And I think it's it's really a, a hard thing to know, um, you know, what the what the final price tag on something like this, especially a resolution as vast as this, could be. So, Lisa Friedman, what is climate change? We're seeing extremes in the weather. Is it a breakdown of the ozone? Is it the glacial ice uh, that is melting away in the uh, Antarctica? What is this all about? Yeah. You know, I mean, one thing that, that always comes up is is sort of a confusion between weather and climate. And my colleague, Kendra Pierre-Lewis, put it really wonderfully in a recent story. She said, you know, weather is what you are wearing today. And um, climate is what you have in your closet, which is, you know, why you don't find a lot, she said, of, of uh, folks with a big extensive down coat collection in Florida, right? So we are seeing extremes grow every year. The hottest year uh, continues every year. Every next year continues to be the hottest year on record for the past several years. Um, sea level rise, glacial melt in the United States. You know, we're, we're seeing the um, the wildfires in the West and, you know, having a longer, there's a longer wildfire period and a more intense wildfire period that scientists say are, are linked to climate change. Um, in places like Florida, you're seeing um, king tides and, and, you know, sunny day flooding increasingly. And you're also seeing, you know, intense droughts throughout the, the, the Southwest and Corn State, um, you know, um, uh, and parts of the Midwest as, as well. So as part of this debate, we're seeing these extremes that you talked about. But what are the causes? Why are we seeing this? So climate change is always talked about as sort of a threat multiplier. A lot of things cannot be directly and solely related to climate change. Let's take wildfires, for, for example. You know, there is there is an issue of forest management as well. Um, and, you know, and climate change is something that acts on top of other problems, um, whether it's soil erosion in, in coastal areas, um, you know, it's it's very hard to pinpoint a single problem to climate change, but it is the thing that that time and again makes matters worse. In a piece that you wrote for the New York Times, you wrote that the the Green New Deal would include a ten year mobilization to reduce carbon emissions in the U.S. and envisioning sourcing a hundred percent of the country's electricity from renewable and zero emissions power plants. Explain. So there's two parts of that. One is the 10-year mobilization. The resolution itself has been very vague on a final timeline for which things have to be achieved. Um, and both the most passionate supporters of the Green New Deal, and by that I mean a youth activist movement, mostly led by a group called the Sunrise Movement, um, and its biggest opponents, Republicans, will say, 
that this means these things have to be done in 10 years. Um, folks in the middle, moderates who have supported it and, and others say, you know, no, 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 this is a 10-year mobilization to get on our way as, as a country to doing things, these things. 100% renewable and clean energy, that was written in a way to be, uh, as I mentioned earlier, agnostic on the very contentious issue of nuclear. Right now, of the clean power in the United States, about 20% is nuclear. Um, were that to be reduced in any way, old, old power plants, old nuclear power plants retired, for example, um, it would be much, much harder for the United States to get anywhere near this goal of 100% clean energy. On the other hand, opponents of nuclear energy really don't want to see that in the mix. So look for that as a fight that will play out in the, in the coming months and probably years on how to get the United States on a cleaner energy pathway. So with the issue in general of climate change, and it's something that we've been dealing with for many, many years, why is this such a partisan issue? Why is it so difficult for the two parties to come together, whether it's the Green New Deal or any other proposals? This has been an incredibly partisan issue for years now, and you've seen a few Republicans here and there, um, you know, make inroads into working on climate change. I'm thinking of Carlos Cabello, who recently lost his Florida House seat uh, and was a proponent of a carbon tax. You now have just two Republicans in the in the House that I can think of, Congressman Rooney and Congressman Fitzpatrick, who want to see a carbon tax. But for the most part, this really is split along party lines. You are seeing a growing number of Republicans saying we do need to find some solutions. Um, and it may not be, or in their, in their view, certainly will not be the Green New Deal, but uh, that... There could be some technological solutions that Democrats and Republicans can work on together. I think the Green New Deal has done kind of two things. Um, you know, it's really energized the discussion. As recently as December after the midterms, you know, we were talking to members of Congress who were saying we don't think climate change is going to be a real big issue in the coming Congress, even with, even with Democrats holding the majority in the House. That's clearly no longer the case. Um, it's also, in some ways, put Republicans on the spot. Um, Senator Mitch McConnell is intending to bring the, the Green New Deal resolution to the floor. And, you know, one of the things that that Democrats are doing is, um, you know, is emphasizing the fact that while they may be divided over how to deal with climate change, uh, their argument is there is no plan on the other side at all. Here is what the Senate Republican leader said last month about the legislation. Let me say, first of all, however, I've noted with great interest the Green New Deal. And we're going to be voting on that in the Senate. We'll give everybody an opportunity to go on record and uh, see how they feel about the Green uh, New Deal. And yet with a half a dozen Democratic senators running for the presidency, clearly there is a political motivation by the Republican leader. Sure. And, you know, he knows this is going to be a difficult vote for for Democrats, particularly because this particular resolution is not just about climate change. It also includes things like a federal jobs guarantee and a, uh, a living wage guarantee and a guarantee of 
of health care and retirement benefits and vacation pay for everyone. Um, and a call to retrofit every building in the United States, you know, and, and some really um, tough sells. The Republicans are milking this for all it's worth. I mean, they, you know, the, 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 the vote now might not be immediately. It was, uh, there was a thought that it might be as soon as this week. Now, Senator McConnell says it'll be by, uh, by the August recess. And, you know, there's definitely a, a sense that this is, this is the golden goose for, for Republicans. We saw Congressman Bishop, you know, out yesterday eating a hamburger and, and uh, saying that, you know, he's, Democrats want to take that away from, from folks. Um, there's a lot of theater on both sides happening with, with the Green New Deal. Why the issue of social justice as part of this provision, as part of this legislation? It's really interesting. Um, you know, the proponents of the Green New Deal have said, and, you know, when I've interviewed them, have have said that there is no way they feel to really address climate change without addressing some of the underlying issues of racial, social, economic inequities. Um, one element that that they care very much about, they say, is ensuring that there are jobs for those who may lose their jobs in fossil fuel industries um, as the United States transitions away from coal or oil. Um, you know, for for Democrats who want to work on climate change but feel that these other issues really muddy the field for them uh, and that they might want to vote for a resolution that calls for a, a clean energy transition in the United States but may perhaps have trouble voting for one that also has a, a, a wage guarantee, um, it, it's, it's a difficult vote. We associate, of course, the New Deal with Franklin D. Roosevelt, the Great Depression, and the expansion of the federal government during his administration. So do you have any insight into the thinking behind the name of this, the Green New Deal, where that came slogan. from? It's a great slogan. It came from the New Deal. They wanted to pattern it after the idea um, of something that would rev up the economy and fundamentally change the country. And... Um, and they they came up with came, they came up with a, a catchy slogan. Uh, you know, I should note it's not it's not the first they're not the first people to come up with a green new deal. Uh, the Green Party has a green new deal. Some various think tanks have written about a green new deal. Uh, our own Thomas Friedman at the New York Times had a, a proposal that he dubbed a green new deal. So um, it's been it's been a catchy slogan for a while. And, of course, one of the leading public figures on climate change, former Vice President Al Gore, here is one of his recent presentations. In our country, we are responsible for more than all of South America, all of Africa, all of the Middle East, all of Asia, all combined. The per capita average in Africa, India, China, Japan, EU, Russia, there's where we are, way, way above everyone else. If you take population into account, it's a little bit different. China's playing a bigger role, so is Europe, but we are still, by all odds, the largest contributor. Former Vice President Al Gore, first of all, is he right? Yes, and I think one of the things that, you know, I mean, as someone who's covered the international climate negotiations for, for almost a decade, um, you know, one of the things that's notably absent in the resolution and in the discussion right now in the United States is 
um, what role, what obligation perhaps the United States has um, internationally. Um, the United States is no longer the largest contributor to climate change. That, that now goes to China, but the United States is the largest historic contributor to to emissions. We're the largest per capita contributor to emissions. And, um, you know, developing countries in particular argue that this that they are facing the consequences of a problem that they did not cause um, and increasingly are seeking for the United States to offer some funding to to assist. There was a United States contribution to a fund called the Green Climate Fund that's been um, that's been ended by by the Trump administration. But even if the U.S. were to implement many or even all of these proposals, mm-hmm. what's to guarantee that other countries like China, like developing countries, would do the same? Countries have been wrestling with this problem for years, and that's that's what the Paris Agreement was hoping to to address. So under the Paris Agreement. Every country in the world, large and small, developed and developing, put forward a target to reduce emissions or to reduce the rate of emissions. The idea of the Paris Agreement was that different countries of different sizes and levels of wealth and ability might do different things, but everyone would do something and everyone would be held to the same legal accountability of doing those things. It's a non-binding agreement, which means as if a country, say, pulls out, as the U.S. under President Trump says it will do, and and as an aside, it can't actually do that until after the election in 2020. So the United States is still technically in the Paris Agreement. But there's no penalty if a country pulls out or does not um, do the emissions reductions, but there are reporting requirements. Um, And right now, what we're seeing is that nobody is doing enough. Um, But but other countries are acting. There's another aspect of this Green New Deal, Lisa Friedman. It calls for the upgrading of all existing buildings in the U.S. and building new facilities that achieve maximum energy efficiency. Now, you could argue that that's ambitious. You could argue that that is not practical. Why is that part of this? It's incredibly ambitious, and it's in there because addressing energy efficiency from buildings is a huge part of tackling rising emissions in the United States. They also have labor unions as part of this legislation, this resolution, strengthening and protecting the right of all workers. And that's something Republicans have been quick to criticize. And labor unions themselves have been, I'd say, lukewarm on the Green New Deal resolution. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out. I think this is one of those issues where um, this resolution veers away from strictly dealing with climate change and rising emissions um, and get might get them into sort of mixed waters with with different folks of different political stripes. Let's turn from the policy to the politics, and here is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, last month. So time is of the essence. We welcome the enthusiasm that is there. Uh, the Green New Deal points out the fact that the public is much more aware Uh, of the challenge that we face, and that is a good thing because the public sentiment will help us pass uh, the most bold common denominator, bold initiatives uh, with the uh, interest in, uh, again, saving the planet while we create jobs, protect the health of our children, and pass the planet on in a very serious way. I'm very excited about it all, and I welcome 
uh, the Green New Deal and any other proposals that people have out there. She welcomes it, but is she embracing it? You know, she's been cautious. She has, um, you know, members that run the gamut from very progressive to to very modern and conservative in her caucus. She also knows from experience how difficult it can be to pass climate legislation in Congress. Nancy Pelosi was instrumental in getting what was at the time known as cap-and-trade legislation through a, a market-based effort to to deal with climate change back in 2009, got it through the House. Uh, a lot of members lost their seats over the vote that they took to approve that, that climate legislation. Uh, it died in the Senate. And, um, you know, I think since then there's been a lot of thought on the Democratic side of what can they do that can reasonably get done? And is the Green New Deal something that can reasonably get done in this Congress? I will say that the proponents of the Green New Deal will say, and they have said in, in multiple you know, interviews that, that I've done and, and others, that they know full well that this is not something that's going to pass um, and certainly not that that's not going to be approved in a, in a Congress that is half controlled by, by Republicans and a president that does not believe that climate change is a problem um, or but they're looking but they're looking ahead to 2020 or a time when perhaps Democrats control the House, the Senate and the White House um, and can perhaps get some serious climate legislation done. And that seems to be what we're hearing from some of the presidential candidates, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Senator Kamala Harris, who say, we may not agree with everything in this, but it's it's a starting point. We like the framework. Yeah, again, I mean, what what you'll see Democrats come back to again and again as this debate heats up is exactly what she's saying. Democrats might disagree over the details of what to do or how far to go or everything in this particular resolution, but they are united in the fact that they believe that climate change is an urgent threat that the United States must deal with. Let me remind our listeners, we are talking with Lisa Friedman. She is climate reporter for The New York Times. Her work available at nytimes.com. Why is this your beat? <laughs> uh, you know, I came to the climate beat sort of by accident about a decade ago. I was a political reporter for a long time, and it... Um, it's the most, it's the best beat I've ever had. Uh, you know, really? I, I thought I would, when I started covering climate change, I thought that I would do it for a year or so. How could I just write about one issue after I'd spent, you know, a long time writing about every political issue under the sun and quickly realized that this is a beat that is not just about energy and environment, but it's also about migration. It's also about food security. It's also about intellectual property rights. It's about the changes in our fundamental daily lives and what happens when we turn the lights on in our living room. Um, so part of it is the part of the answer is it's it's my beat because I, I can't pull away. I think the issues are fascinating. It bleeds into every part of our daily lives. And it's something that I really enjoy understanding and trying to explain to readers. Let me showcase one of the moments, uh, and I know you saw this, it became a viral moment, is uh, California Senator Dianne Feinstein in her office out west meeting with students, including children 8, 9, 10 years old, along with their parents. Let's listen. Can I say something? 
on the Green New Deal. Oh, okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all You know for what's the interesting about this group? I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. I hear what you're saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your job. How old are you? I'm 16. I can't vote. didn't vote for me. I'm 24. It doesn't matter. We're the ones who are going to be impacted. It doesn't matter. We're going to be the ones who are impacted. That was Senator Dianne Feinstein in her office in California, and there is so much there on so many different levels. You're smiling. Yeah, I mean, so much to unpack there. And I think, so one of the issues is... Um, that you're seeing that the proponents of the Green New Deal and the youth movement behind them are every bit as tough on Democrats as they are on Republicans. Um, in some ways, there's kind of a real purity test happening on on the the, the left. Um, you know, you have senators like Dianne Feinstein, who has a hundred percent rating from the League of Conservation Voters, and um, has been putting forward and working on climate change legislation before a lot of the the kids who were in her office were even alive. Um, being asked to, you know, I mean, her words were, were something like, you know, you're, you're saying here, it's, it's my way or the highway, right? I mean, they want her and other Democrats to sign on to this particular legislation. Um, you're seeing a lot of members you know, right now you have you have a movement with Senator Senator Carper um, uh, and Senator Durbin working on an alternate Green New Deal measure that you know maybe more Democrats can can get behind. Is the Green New Deal the only way, the best way to address climate change? Um, no, that's a you know that's a political effort to get support behind a single piece of legislation. On the other hand, it's generated a enormous amount of attention and the folks who do support it hope that is the vehicle that is going to get Congress over the hump towards dealing with climate change. And of course, we cannot talk about this issue without discussing Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a freshman Democratic representative who really has become a force behind this legislation. This was her response to what Senator Dianne Feinstein told the children. Working on an issue for 30 years alone is what qualifies as is what makes someone qualified uh, to solve an issue. That said, there are a lot of people that have been doing this work for decades that have proposed ambitious solutions for years and have not been listened to. So 
it's not just I've been doing this for 30 years so we need to listen to them because frankly people have been failing at the same things for 30 or 40 years what we need to do is say what solutions have not been tried yet and what ambitious scale have we not shot at yet and let's do it Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she was responding while also making chili, we should point out, uh, to many of people who are watching in response to Dianne Feinstein. So what happens next? Well, I mean, I, I would just point out to, to her response, I think the other thing that you're seeing is a real generational divide, right? I mean, between um, this this very passionate youth movement and folks who have been working on the issue for 30 years. I sp- I've spoken in recent weeks to a lot of activists who have said, well, yeah, you know, in the one point feels kind of bad feeling shunted aside after we've done all this work on thinking of the best policies and working to move the needle. On the other hand, nothing major has happened in a long time on climate change. So maybe it is time for this new new blood and this new energy. And folks have been saying for a long time, young people need to get involved. This is their future this is what it looks like you know when 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 young people are involved it's uncompromising and um and and fiercely passionate and they want answers and action now (laughs) um the uh the the answer to what happens now is i think a lot of debate the green new deal resolution is going to take up a lot of oxygen in congress for the next several weeks if not months we'll see a vote at some point soon in the senate that, as as you said, will put members of Congress and particularly the the presidential candidates on the Democratic side on the spot um, and force them to either embrace or not this this resolution. Um, I, I should note that all of them have endorsed the resolution as co-sponsors. From there, on the House side, we're seeing already a huge number of hearings exploring both the science and of climate change and the impacts of climate change in the United States. I think we can expect more of those to come. The question of what legislatively will come out of Congress this year is really an open question. I mean, um, very few people expect anything significant out of either body. Again, certainly nothing that stands a good chance of being signed in this Congress. But there could be a, a real groundwork being laid for climate legislation in the years to come. Bottom line is somebody who is immersed in this issue, no shortage of stories moving ahead. That is true. That is true. Lisa Friedman, she is climate reporter for The New York Times. And again, her work available at nytimes.com. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And a reminder, this podcast is available online at cspan.org. You can download the free C-SPAN radio app or wherever you download your favorite podcast. We thank you for listening.